And I heard God say, do you want to spend your 40s telling stories from your 30s or do you want more stories? And in, and in a deep place, I really felt like it was God, almost like a Solomon moment going, what do you want? And I said, I want more stories. Well, hey, everyone, I want to welcome you to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. And if you're listening for the first time, my name is Jason Ballard. I'm a pastor in Vancouver. I'm part of the leadership team at Alpha Canada. And about a year ago, along with a few other pastors and friends, we launched the Canadian Church Leaders Network. It's an organization dedicated to serving pastors in Canada and beyond. And part of that mission is expressed through this podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation with a church leader, often Canadians, but sometimes global thought leaders, and we explore themes that intersect with the -the on-the-ground work and day-to-day lives of pastors and church leaders like yourself. And today, we have a pastor and church planter from Atlantic Canada that I'm really excited for you to meet. His name is Pastor Mike Miller. And Mike and his wife, Nancy, are the lead pastors of Nova Church in Halifax, Nova Scotia. They planted Nova in 2017 and have since seen incredible transformation and impact in the city of Halifax. Before planting Nova, Mike pastored in Atlantic Canada for a number of years, and I love learning from Mike when it comes to things like communication and leadership and shaping culture. And you know what? Canada is a small world, all things considered. And so sometimes you hear a bit of the, you know, backstage gossip about other pastors and especially people like Mike who preach at conferences and events. And the gossip that I hear so often about Mike Miller is about how supportive and encouraging he has been to other young pastors all across the country, you know, behind the scenes, reaching out, praying for and encouraging them along the way. And so I have tons of respect for Mike, and I'm so excited for you to hear him today. Here's our conversation. Well, hey, Mike Miller, thank you so much for hanging out, man. It's such a pleasure to be with you today. So good to be here. Um, Where is here? For those that don't know you as well, as I do. Where is here? Tell us about your world. Tell us where you're coming from and some of the things moving on around you these days. Here is the East Coast of Canada in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I love the East Coast of Canada so much. Or uh, And the East Coast loves you, or as we like to call it, the most safe place in North America. Because statistically, right now, depending on people are watching and listening, it's the lowest cases of COVID in almost the world in this Atlantic bubble we have. So we're on the East Coast, just living the life. Dude, I think after the debate, we're recording this just after the U.S. debate, like the yeah. Google searches for like how to move to Canada were through the roof. <laughs> and so I just think if you cross-reference the desire to move up north with the low COVID count in Halifax yes. and in Nova Scotia, I just think there is going to be a surge of people moving your way, man. Buddy, buddy, our borders are closed and you're not welcome. So uh, <laughs> we are keeping we're, we are keeping everybody out and we're just living our life, man. So, oh man, and what do you do there, man? I know you got a wife and kids, and you're part of a church. Yeah. Give us a little bit of an insight into that. Yeah, me and my wife together, we co-pastor a church we planted in 2017, uh, Nova Church. And uh, we launched this church um, a few years ago. We just celebrated our third birthday. And like everyone, it's, it looked different than maybe what we, birthdays in the past and what we expected. Uh, but it's a thriving church full of challenges and opportunities. And we pastor together with our two kids. Uh, Josh just turned 16 in April and Maddie turns 14 at Christmas. And um, we are enjoying life with the team, the breathtaking team that we have. Uh, and this awesome city that we're in of Halifax. Hmm. I love how you just said that. And I think that really describes something I've observed in your life is that 
you and your family have a unique way of doing ministry together. Um, mm. So I'd love to hear you just chat about what is it like planting a church and doing ministry with your wife, but also the way you've included your kids. There's like, I know there's a philosophy at work there. I'd just love for you to just give us a window into that. Yeah, you know, all of us, uh, our stories start way before us. Um, and usually it's positive mentors and moments. And sometimes it's things that you have observed, either from family or church or mentors or people or culture that you don't like. And both positive and negative guide you and mold us. And um, so there's a lot of journey there. But really, when, when I met my wife in Newfoundland, uh, I was on a missions trip with, to my brother's church and she was a leader there. Uh, we dated for only two weeks and then got engaged. So I don't recommend that, but it worked for us. Uh, but one of our earliest conversations was about calling and, and direction in life. And even before it was romantic, it was more of just a friendship. And I talked about, you know, what I felt God was calling me to. And um, so we really started on the premise of what's God calling us to. Mm-hmm. So inside our wedding rings, we both have engraved the same saying. And it says, two lives, one cause. And that cause is the cause of Christ. And we feel like we're called to build the church. So we say, when we added a kid, added a child, when Josh was born in 2004, it was, you know, three lives, one cause. And then when Maddie was born, four lives, one cause. And now with our church, we honestly say it's many lives, one cause. Um, So it came out of the mentality of it wasn't me doing something and these guys supported. It's really Jesus and his calling in the center. And we just joined hands around him. And as we added Mm -hmm. to our circle... The circle kept getting bigger, but Jesus was still the center. Our kids are not the center of our life. Uh, Our marriage is not the center of our life. Um, Our church is not the center of our life. We really try to keep Jesus and his calling as the center. So that really is the filter through every decision that goes through, whether it be jobs, whether it be um, opportunities, um, or even planning. We try to keep that as a center, knowing that we are linked in together as a family Mm. around this cause of Christ. Oh, man. Um, tell us a bit about the story of planting Nova Church, because I know mm. that 2017 you launched, but mm. when did that become a dream in your heart? And then walk yeah. us from that kind of that seed through to launch and then a bit of what's mm. taking you to this place today. Yeah, uh, such a journey. And everybody that's listening or watching this, they're on their own journey. And, you know, I know the goal of this is to encourage and hopefully there's some points and some truths that maybe can encourage and pull out for us. I never wanted to be a lead pastor ever. Mm. It was never in my heart. Never a dream. I'd never lay awake at night going, what if? Um, I like following. I'm a great follower. Uh, I love saying, what do you need? So I had dedicated my life to really uh, volunteer for many years into youth, into missions, into young adult associate pastor roles. Uh, And then a season shifted where we really felt like um, we were to change the direction of our life with um, the church we were joined with, great church. We just really felt like our mission and our goal was a different language and style. So we pulled back and in that season, didn't know what was next. I just knew we were passionate about the local church, about what God was saying to us. And in there, we were honestly looking at other churches to join. And hmm. for me, it was to find a leader that I wanted to follow and just serve and just make their dreams come true and and to walk at our calling under. And we interviewed you know, from from West Coast to New York City to all over Canada. and I was praying just, that you would take one of those West Coast jobs for sure. Yeah, just, we could have the job. We just couldn't afford to buy a house there. And so, <laughs> Tell me about that year. Tell me about that year. So like, I didn't know that yeah. about your story, that you took a step away. Mm. I assumed, and from a distance, that you were 
planning to plant like that was the no. reason to step back can you no. i i will we'll make sure i find our way back to the story but i just think it's so unique that sometimes it feels like we're called from one thing to another yeah but there seems no. to be this pattern that sometimes you're called into some sort of obscurity it's so bizarre yeah. that god does this can you talk about what that felt like and maybe what god did in that time to be actually moved into a season of uncertainty uh, yes. but to know that you need to move from the thing into it was a horrible. space of uncertainty let me tell you, the next let me thing. T- let me tell you the feeling. It was horrible. So, <laughs> so I was just turning 40. Uh, I, I love getting older. I have no problem with age. 40, I felt like God started to shift something. Now, hindsight, I realized some things were dying and some things were starting to birth in my life, but I was frustrated. And I just couldn't shake the frustration. And it wasn't, it wasn't relational. It, 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 was, it wasn't health-wise. It wasn't financial. It was this groaning that sounds so charismatic and spiritual, but there's like this deep groaning. When I would pray, I wouldn't even, I couldn't even get words there. It was like, I'd walk this sanctuary, this church I was working at in the dark and just groan. If, mm-hmm. if you came in, you thought I was having a heart attack. And over the season, I had some great wins ministry-wise, um, some national exposure, some real good things in our city with some breathtaking moments, but I felt this frustration and groaning. And I started reading this book by Mark Batterson called In the Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And this, the premise of the whole book is about Eliezer, I believe, the mighty man who killed a lion in the pit on a snowy day. And if you had asked him what was the best day of his life, he'd be like, oh, the day I killed this lion, there was snow on the ground, I was in this pit. If you had said to him, okay, what was the most challenging day of your life? He'd look at you and go, the day I killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. And the premise is the most challenging things in life are usually the most difficult are also the most rewarding. Mm. And something started to grow inside of me. And, I, and I, in prayer time, I heard God say this because my thirties were breathtaking. Uh, I really enjoyed my, my thirties. I really felt um, we had seen like started my family. So ministry wise, relationally. And I heard God say, do you want to spend your forties telling stories from your thirties or do you want more stories? Wow, and in, and in a deep place, I really felt like it was God, almost like a Solomon moment going, what do you want? And I said, I want more stories. Come on, we've all seen these people that tell the stories from 30 years ago. You know, just like their books, their books, their, their bio picture is from 30 years ago. And I, I'm like, you see them in person, you're thinking, is that the same person? I don't want, I thought, I thought, I don't want to tell stories from my 20s and 30s as I go into my 40s and 50s. So all this started happening. At the same time, there was a real disconnection where I was and just realizing that the vision wasn't the same. Again, great local vision. I just felt like I was speaking a different language. I didn't feel like it was for us and we really couldn't celebrate it or really invest in it. And that's not fair to where we were. So, no, we had no plan. So I quit with the thought I was going to do landscaping. And uh, because for me, ministry, uh, pastoring isn't like applying for a job just for a paycheck there's nothing wrong with applying for jobs for ministry, but for me, it was out of a relationship, more like a marriage. And I thought, until I find that relationship, that covenant, that, that, that community, I'll just provide for my family. So my wife is more spiritual than me. She, she was actually standing over me, preaching at me one morning at six in the morning. I was still in bed. And she's like, you will not do landscaping. You're not putting work boots on. You are called to preach and build the church. And she started re-preaching a Stephen Furtick sermon to me in bed. <laughs> and um, and uh, God started opening doors for me to travel full-time. And you know, and those in Canada uh, know the context, we can probably name five to 15 
people that travel globally or at least in the States, but in Canada, people that travel full time and that's their income, you know, on one hand with four yeah. fingers left over. There's, there's, there's one, not two, a lot. There's not, I don't, you, you have a very rich, um, different circles that you travel in. In my circle, I couldn't really name anybody. And especially from East Coast Canada, uh, and by no means do I think I am the best preacher or best suited. So, but God started opening doors. It was divine. Mm. And for two years, started traveling full time, preaching from, you know, retreats to conferences and everything in between. And in that journey, we were still attending the church that I had resigned from, again, to, to maintain unity there. Plus, my kids needed a church and my wife and trying to make sure we were doing things well. And I felt like I had this, this great seed in my pocket of an oak tree. And every, every time I landed in an airport, I thought, is this my home city now? Hmm. I, kept, I kept looking for a place to plant that seed. And I'd land in London, Ontario. I'd land in Toronto. I'd land in Vancouver. I'd land in Victoria. I'd land in uh, Oklahoma. I'd land in New York. I'm like, is this my city? And I never felt that peace. And we were looking for a place, a culture, a, a, a tribe. And then after about a year and a half, it started to shift. And I heard God say, if you can't find your tribe, maybe it means because I want you to build your tribe. And the turning moment for me, I was landing in Baltimore, Maryland. It was in January 2016. And I was, um, I was uh, preaching at a, a big youth conference. And I heard God say, literally the sound of a door. It wasn't audible, but it was spiritual. A door started opening. I could hear this door and God saying, it's a new season. Mm. And after that, things started happening very quickly. Started getting a vision for Nova Church. Um, even a name, Nova is Latin for new. Nova Scotia is new Scotland. Nova is new. Uh, we believe God makes all things new and new opportunities and new community. And it started birthing that way. So um, that's the long story. But it started in the middle of a season of we didn't know what was next. And um Yeah. Oh, man, I so appreciate you sharing that. Tell me about um, Halifax. Just for people that don't know, tell us about the city, yeah. even a bit of the, the size and a bit of some of the movement. It's a, it's a beautiful city. I love it. I love flying into Halifax. I love flying yeah. into Nova Scotia, especially in the fall when the colors of the trees oh, it's so change. nice right now. Just so stunning. But just give us a window into the type of area you're in. So Halifax, uh, if you haven't been to the East Coast, we have more trees than people. Um, there's a lot of land. Uh, Nova Scotia isn't... Um, the biggest place in the world, most population, but to drive from one end to the other is about 12 hours. So it's significant size. And there's only a million people in the whole province. Mm. Half of those people live in our city. Our city is just around 500,000 people. It's growing fantastic in the last few years. A lot of uh, students, a lot of international community. It's really becoming multicultural, which is fantastic. Big university population with main uni some really big universities that are really um, strong and well-known. I remember the moment for me where I realized I loved Halifax. See, everybody says they love their city. Um, I liked my city. Um, I love my city, but I never felt called to my city. And hmm. my favorite city in the world is New York City. Uh, my second favorite city is London. Um, and as I'm in New York City interviewing for a job at a breathtaking church, uh, you know, we're interviewing, they flew us in, it's a moment, it's also my anniversary, I'm with my wife, it's just this fantastic moment, and I'm walking by Madison Square Garden as a hockey game's getting out, and all these red, uh, Ranger jerseys are coming by me, and it should have been this perfect moment, I couldn't help but cry, I was bawling and walking, my wife was leading me, and all I could think about was Halifax, I don't want to leave, I don't want to mm -hmm. leave, and I'm not that guy that 
is obsessed with my city. And I realized God was doing something. As I'd have coffee in our city at cool coffee shops, I couldn't help but look across and see people I didn't know. And it was, I wonder if they're my best friend. I just haven't met them yet. I wonder if their daughter is supposed to marry my son in 15 years, but we don't know them yet. What? I wonder if, if, if this guy is supposed to be part of my story and this legacy that God wants to build but he hasn't heard the good news yet. And we kept saying, mm. there are people that we are best friends with, we just haven't met yet. And it was this whole thing, wow. every time someone was drive by, I'd be like, I wonder if I'm supposed to know that person. I wonder if in four years from now, we're gonna be so close, our wives and our kids. And I just kept became obsessed with the people in our city. And as our city started to grow with different cultures and immigration and, and, and all this growth, all I saw was opportunity for people and languages to hear the good news. So whenever we started to dream, it was through the filter of our city and, and the changes that were happening in, 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 in the growth. What a gift it is, hey, when mm. you love the place you're called to. Yeah. I don't is. know if that's always the case. I don't know if it's always the case, um, but it's been my experience here in Vancouver. Mm. It was like this kind of like giving myself to the call and then that being met with an increased love. Like maybe it goes in different orders, but there's almost this like meeting mm. in that place. Like as you give yourself more and more to the call to a place, God gives you more and more of a heart. And it's just such a mm. gift. And I'm always praying that God would send people to Canada and raise up people within Canada that love I agree. where they are I agree. and where they live. I like agree. there are cities that sound like the worst nightmare for, for someone to plant in. But for someone like, man, there's nowhere else I'd rather plant a church and, or lead a church and I'm not or start the, a ministry. And I'm not the guy that thinks Halifax is the best city in the world. I'm not. Some people go on about their cities. I'm like, eh, I've been there. It's not that great, you know. <laughs> but I'm not that guy that thinks Halifax is the most beautiful or the most multicultural or the biggest. But it's there's a passion for I see the problems, but I see the opportunity. And I guess I've always, my mail has always gone here. I've lived in Africa and lived in uh, England and lived in different places for short periods of time, but I always come back here. And what I love is I feel like during that season of transition, we chose Halifax. I don't feel stuck Mm. here. I don't feel like I had to stay here. I feel like we chose it. And that awakened a whole nother level of passion. And I know you're in the exact same situation where you chose your city and and you're passionate about it. Well, we'll jump back in with Mike in just a moment. But before we do, I want to make sure that you know about another podcast that the team at CCLN has recently launched called the Daryl Johnson Podcast. By now, you've probably heard me say this before, but in my opinion, I think that Daryl Johnson is the best expository preacher in our country. And he's been preaching the Bible, oh, for over 50 years. And the Daryl Johnson Podcast releases one sermon each week from his archive, moving through different series like the Beatitudes or Who is Jesus. It's very compelling content. As a preacher myself, I often go to his library of sermons as a consistent reference point for whatever text that I'm teaching from. It builds me up personally and equips me as a preacher. So I highly recommend that you add this to the list of podcasts you're currently subscribed to. I know you won't regret it. And if you want to connect to all things Daryl Johnson, head to daryljohnson.ca. Okay, with all that said, let's jump back into our convo with Mike. And so tell us, go back to 2017 then, mm. or maybe uh, from 20, you talked about January, 2016, mm. feeling a sense of calling. Walk us through that church planting journey mm. um, leading up to the launch. And then that first year, I really want to take time to look at the picture because you guys have done a great job in planting and planting's hard, but you guys have done an incredibly good job. And uh, I'm sure there's lots of things you look back and say, I'd do it differently. Yeah. Um, but there, I just love to hear the story because I think there's something for us to 
be encouraged by and learn from in your story? I'm really thankful that church planting has, there's a lot more training. There's a lot more examples. There's a lot more relationships. Um, it started even when I was traveling, preaching over the last decade with youth conferences. And, you know, I see here, this guy's going to plant a church. And, but it wasn't that common in Canada in my circles. I'm sure it was happening. Uh, church planting kind of had a weird uh, connotation to it. Like, hey, someone started a church in their basement in their city, but it's weird. didn't last long. I didn't really know any great. I didn't know any great examples um, yeah. in my own circle. Um, and then as I started traveling, I started in the states. I started coming across some really good ideas and examples, and um, so I was thankful for that. So there was an organization in the states and in Canada that we joined with, just as far as inspiration. Just going, I just like a lot. They're focused on the lost, and they had a lot of resources. And I'm a learner. I'm just like. Throw me files and people and interviews. And that's why this is so great with what you're doing with leaders, even what you just did with Miles from San Diego and, you know, from Kim, who's gone through so much and such a brilliant leader in Abbotsford. And, you know, Brent, who's on the East Coast and is really a David and a leader on the East Coast here in Gasol with King's Church. Give me interviews. Give me people. And I'll just absorb. So we started absorbing all these journey. And I realized we're going to do it. I want to take my time and do it right. I realized this quote kept going through my mind. I would trade everything I do know for what I don't know. I realized I didn't know anything. You know, I know youth groups and preaching, but I knew there was budgets and team leading and forming systems and government um, and and all the stuff you have to do to have something healthy. It's not just, I knew it wasn't just get up and preach with a band um, on a Sunday morning. And I knew I didn't know what I was talking about. So we really dedicated ourselves to a real Let's go through a system mm-hmm. and be evaluated. Let's go through a system and learn. And I also want to be a part of something bigger than myself. So, um, you know, on my best days and worst days, the friends that I would reach out to were a part of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. So even though we joined this church planning organization, which was ARC in the States, as far as inspiration, I said, I don't want to be isolated. I want to be part of something bigger. I like following. I'm not trying to do my own thing. So, you know, went to the district which I was from an independent church, had no real relationship with any denomination and said, I'd like to be a part of helping wow. and um, love, love the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. They are the first to tell you they're not always the healthiest or most vibrant, especially on the East coast. And they will tell you that. So it wasn't like, Hey, we can really milk these guys and really ride their, their coattails. It was, I think we can be a part of seeing something good mm-hmm. happen. So we joined a part of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada with a flavor of ARC and um, we're not joined to ARC government wise. It's more style. And then obviously my own training and own mentors and even conversations from leaders like you and, you know, even the guys with, you know, with HTB and wherever I went, I'd pick something out and start building this journey. And then we set out a timeline and we had no money. We had no people. And this is the other thing that, you know, we said, me and my wife said, we're not going to ask anybody to come to our church unless they have to move their postal code, move their houses, or Mm. if they're unsaved. And to this day, we've kept to that word because I understood the influence I had was not my own influence. I was a part of a church here in the city. So for three years, we let that influence die. Never met with anybody, never had a bonfire, never had a prayer meeting. I was gone, you know, 150 flights a year. I was gone a lot. But when we started planting, we said, you know, we'll put things on social media, but we're not going to direct message, text, email, call. If I see someone in a mall... We're not inviting anybody because we wanted to honor the influence that was mm. given to us before. Um, we didn't ask for a cent. We just said, let's just cast vision and see what God wants to do. 
and God started slowly doing things and from conferences even in your province with History Maker, taking an offering for Nova Church to churches calling us up going, we want to help, to individuals. And then slowly it started to build. But I, I can't turn a soundboard on. I can barely work this laptop. I don't play any instruments. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not the most organized. I don't know how to do Excel spreadsheet. I know how to open my Bible and believe in people and cast vision. And God took that little loaves and fishes and blessed it. And when we launched in September 2017, we had more than enough money than we needed. Um, our launch goal was to have 70 people on our launch team. We launched, including kids, 120. Um, and the, we, we didn't have any plan for salary. We just said, we'll pass the plate and see what happens the first Sunday. And God has blessed us and helped us. Wow. And that was the journey. That was the journey that was Nova. I remember I was speaking, I think up in Moncton mm. and uh, I had like a window, I think it was on a Saturday night or something. Late Saturday night. Is, is it about two and a half hour drive? Is that yeah, about right? Yeah. From Moncton yeah. to Halifax. Yeah. So me and my friend Peter, who was with me, um, we came down, we got to take in a service. Oh, no, no, Jason Eliason. Yes. It wasn't Peter, it was Jason and were, Eliason. You were, with, and you were with, driving with another, a Kia Soul, a red Kia Soul. And it wasn't my Kia Soul, it was the <laughs> rental car that I got. And uh, so it's me and Jason Lyson, who's a church planner in Surrey, who we should definitely share on this podcast yeah. as well, Citizens Church, which people should check out because there's lots to learn there as well. Me and Eliason came down, got to take in a service and then drive home really late. And uh, I just loved it, man. It was just such, such a sense of place, such a sense of energy and hopefulness, mm. uh, a real community. And the other thing is like you guys were rolling with the punches because mm. you're in rental venues, you don't own your own buildings, you're adjusting, you're tweaking times. And there's just such a sense, it was so evident that there was this dynamic team culture being like, we're, we're always ready to roll with the punches. Yeah. If our venue gets moved or closed, we're going to adjust. How, talk to me about the culture of the volunteer culture mm. that you have at your church, because mm. I think that is like the preaching's great, mm. the branding's great, the community's great, but there's something about the culture I think is the X factor of what might be causing Nova to find uh, sustainability and growth and health. Um, and I know that would come with intentionality. Mm. Talk about culture building in yeah. those early days of planting a church. Yeah, great question and really great thought to keep. We're still wrapping our head around this. I feel like I'm. People think I'm doing reverse psychology, but. I've told more people they wouldn't like our church than they would. And those people are like, well, like people say, we want to meet with you about our church. So I'm like, well, I don't know if you really want to come to our church. These are all things that's wrong with it. And they're like, we were so frustrated from that meeting. We're like, we're coming. We're go- we're, 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 <laughs> they can't stop us from coming. And But I, in fact, I just wrote a blog of why you might not like our church. And our, our, our hidden theme is we're a great church if you can find us because we keep changing location. When you show up that night, it's because we couldn't get Sunday morning because they had some cheerleading co- thing going on. So we did church Saturday night. And everybody's like, Saturday night church is awesome. I'm like, it's only because we couldn't get our venue. So really, we, we, we always just talk about, um, you know, calling over comfort. And mm. we seem to attract people that want to do something. And when I say do something, I don't mean so, so much as far as work. But they really want to impact. And we make it very clear. Our, our goal is to reach people far from God and help them become close to God. And that sounds really poetic and tweetable. But that's the filter for our church. It's always people far from God. So when they leave our services, when they come into our small group or they watch a live stream or they meet with one of us over coffee, if they encounter us at all, they're closer to God after meeting us than before. So because of that, we don't do a lot of other things aimed at established Christians. Nothing wrong with those things. 
So our budget reflects that. Like, you know, we're a, a new church on the East Coast. There's not, not a lot of money or people, but we spent significant, almost $10,000 the first year just on coffee. Not just because coffee, but we saw every cup of coffee as a chance for someone to go, if, if I'm getting a cup of coffee, it means I'm open to a conversation. I'm not, not just taking off. And so every decision was around connection, communication, and lowering tension. And when we communicate that, we seem to attract people that are like, I just don't want to sit in a seat. I just don't want to attend. Um, so we attract the doers, the movers, the shakers. And then we just had this culture of, we keep saying we're jet skis, we're jet skis. And it's an analogy that's been used many times. The larger you get and the more established, you become more like an ocean liner that's harder to turn in the ocean. It takes a long time. We keep saying is the longer we're in this, the more established we get, we will still be jet skis. Not to provoke people to keep doing change just to be relevant or to annoy our people, but out of solving problems and removing barriers. And even this week, it's, it doesn't seem to fail. Every week there's another barrier or obstacle or something, and our team just navigates and pivots, and we solve mm-hmm. problems that people never knew existed behind the scenes. And it's part of whenever something goes crazy and we have to move last minute or do something, we just say this feels like Nova. Um, so we, we're really upfront with that. It's calling over comfort. And I always say to the seniors in our church, we have a really large group of people that are you know, 60 plus, And I'll say to them on Sunday morning, we have no idea why you're here. And they all laugh. And then I laugh. And then it gets awkward. We're like, because we're not comfortable. We, we change locations. We're too loud. It's really dark. They've said they can't see real well. Um, and there's, we tell the reasons why we have it dark and why it's loud and all these things. But they just love coming and being a part of something with their grandkids wow. or themselves. So we just cast a real vision of we're here to reach unsaved people. It's the place where you can bring your neighbor, your loved one, your spouse that maybe has never come into a gospel environment. And because we paint that picture, they don't mind the discomfort. But we just keep saying the same thing many different ways. And that culture is always calling over comfort. We don't mind comfort. We wouldn't mind some comfort. Sure. But it's that's Trump is always calling, calling over comfort. And our calling is to help those far from God come close to God. So because we're up front with that, you know, from worship to production, to kids, to youth, to attenders, to everybody, they just know if we're going to make a decision, we are going to sacrifice comfort to maintain the calling. Hmm. One of my favorite parts visiting you was just getting to peek in at that team rally. Hmm. And I've learned this from ARC churches. I think they do this across the board really, really well. I know Resonate Church, the church planning Coquitlam. Hmm. When I visited them in our church planning journey, I saw the same thing. Um, I know Clark and Kim in Abbotsford, they do the same mm. thing. They, gal- they gather the team before the service. And there's, it's, not, it's not just sort of like details. There's an envisioning mm. component and there's a rallying around the vision. Can you take me into sort of like how you prepare for and lead those team rallies? I don't know if you still have that same rhythm, but those types of spaces where you gather the team together and then remind them of that calling. Yeah. You know, we grow up and you'd hear a lot of things like, you know, um, it couldn't be done without everybody. But so many times, really, it was a sound person, maybe a worship team and a preacher. And the rest of us, you know, even in our youth ministries, it was like the rest of us are kind of there to put some butts in the seats, but you're not really needed. The model of church planting, the way we've done it, um, we really need everybody. The wonderful thing is you need everybody. The horrible thing is <laughs> yeah. you need everybody because if they don't show up, there's no pipe, right. like pipe and drape and transforming spaces. And we never wanted a place that looked like, you know, 
looked like it was run down in some old school gym that looks like I would never put my kids like it's excellent and but to have excellence is a lot of work so the cool thing is is everybody gets a chance to feel involved the negative is if everybody doesn't buy in the whole thing fails so the good thing is in this rally the goal of it is and even our church came out of this thought is and it came through working with millennials so many millennials were giving up um, safe jobs, making great money to go work for nonprofits. And I heard this, this line from one of my mentors, and she said it this way. She said, people would rather be, have a seat at the table than be in the loop of information. And I realized when we build, people just don't want an FYI email of, hey, here's some changes, here's some vision, FYI. They really want to feel like they have a seat at the table and are invested. And, and rally really is, it's like, we're in this together. And the, mo- and the motivation is, hey, here's some wins from last week. Did you know this happened? I don't know if you knew this, but someone walked in and they were suicidal and God did a miracle in their life and they're in counseling this week and we're partnering with them. Or, hey, this person showed up and they were a burnt out pastor, but they left feeling envisioned. Or, hey, this family dropped off their kids and they their highlight was the check-in with kids and they just felt so alive and loved. And we share wins. So when you're putting up pipe and drape, when you're parking cars, when you're pouring coffee, you literally feel like if it wasn't for me, we could not have pulled this service off. And it's not an angle. It's not a line. It's the absolute truth. So we spend those times sharing wins and also painting new wins that are going to happen today so that people really feel a part of this body of Christ. They really feel part of the win. And because of that, we don't celebrate the preaching and worship. Sometimes, like I've seen, there's no celebrity culture. It's like we're, we spend so much time celebrating pipe and drape and production and kids ministry and parking lot because that's what takes to pull this off. So that rally is a celebration. It's also of, hey, here's the vision for today. Let's rally around this vision. Hands in. We're going to pull off an amazing day, removing barriers and walls. So people far from God walking in, whether they have a needle in their arm or they're driving a BMW, because you can be on on the bottom of life in both circumstances, and they're going to encounter Jesus today in his church. And it's really a rallying cry for mission and vision. And we always go home tired, and we always go home full of vision and full of passion from, Mm -hmm. from the parking lot to the stage. The rally is that reminder and that celebration. I love it. If you were to go back and give Mike Miller January 2016 a pep talk, mm. what advice would you love to give him now? What would you do differently on this journey? Um, yeah, great question. I'm really thankful that at 45 years of age, I don't have many regrets. Um, mm. That, I, 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 there's a great band. I won't say who they are, but they had this song about a preacher. It says he was a million miles from Nickelback. Is it Nickelback? No, 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 no. I said, okay. I said a good, okay. a good band. Yeah, uh, it says he was a million miles from a million dollars, but you could never spend his wealth. Uh, I feel very wealthy because I married the right person. Um, I honored the right people. I served at the right time mm. in the right way. I've made mistakes. Everyone does, but I don't have big regrets. I wouldn't have changed any decisions. I just would have, probably put my hands on my shoulders and 16 and go, just keep going. You're good. Like if you're good, you, you got this. And I had no idea what I was in for with, you know, relationship strains, even physical health strains in my family, financial strains. Um, this is a lot of work. You know, you just launched. It's a lot of work. It's rewarding, but like Eliezer, the most challenging things are also the best things. The last five years have been the best five years of my life. 
The last five years have been the most challenging years of my life. And it would have been a pep talk going, you're on the right path. Just keep, just trust and obey. Just keep trusting and obeying. It's going to be brilliant and breathtaking. Just keep going. So, yeah. Wow. For anyone, young man or woman leading a church right now, and whether it's to do with the implications of COVID, mm-hmm. um, division in the church or external factors, whether it's health, mm-hmm. our finances, um, who's in it right now, who's like, yeah, I want to look back and say that it was the best years, but right now I'm just, I'm, I'm in the pit and it feels like just mm-hmm. the hardest years. That's the only tone. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts for them today? Yeah. I would just make sure you know the difference between motivation and inspiration. Um, the motivation has to come from heaven. You need to know what God's call for your life is and what he's saying. And sometimes it's wait. Sometimes it's not this huge plan of launch something, do something, record something. It's just wait and serve. Other times it's go, walk, leave it all behind. You know, at 40, we, I left my job. I was probably the best paid youth pastor on the East Coast, which still isn't a lot of money, but it was still something. Not a ton, but it's no. still something. Um, left everything, you know, left a job. I had no income. Um, but just your motivation from heaven. Inspiration is from others. And sometimes we mm-hmm. confuse those and we, we see another church, another ministry, another pastor, and we're going, oh, they're doing small groups this way. I'm, I'm going to be all about small groups or I'm going to all be all about recording. I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to launch a church. I'm going to travel full time. And we confuse the motivation and the inspiration. I'll take inspiration from you you know, and Jason Eliason, you just mentioned, and I'll take inspiration from other churches and leaders. It'll inspire me, but it won't motivate me. My motivation has to be divine, found in that secret place, that quiet place with God. And if you can get your motivation from God, sometimes it looks like you're you're losing. Sometimes it looks like you're waiting. Sometimes it looks like you're going way too slow. But God's timing is best. And we know this, but it's the truth. He'll He'll leapfrog you over where you could go on your own. If you could just trust and obey and just make sure you get your motivation, get inspired by Instagram and stories and moments and wins, get inspired. I'm inspired all the time. I watched some of your guys' stuff. I'm so inspired by the excellence, you know, even the media and the culture and the tone. And But I'm not motivated by that. I have to be motivated by what mm. God said. And If you can learn the difference between motivation and inspiration, I believe it'll save you a lot of heartache and a lot of energy in the wrong direction. Hmm. What's kind of dreams are on your heart as you think about whether it's Nova Church, Halifax, Canada? What are the things you're dreaming about? Yeah, the dreams haven't changed. Uh, they're just getting more and more detailed and more color. And, you know, we saw this this dream of reaching every aspect of culture. And, you know, for us, for culture, it has been to have 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 different um, tentacles or reaches into every area of culture. And the old model was, and I'm not against it, I believe in revival. I believe in revival. But it was if we can get people to an altar, if people can wait up, wait outside churches and, and crawl to an altar and, and cry at an altar, have an encounter of a living God, which I believe we need and is possible. But I, we're waiting, in so many prayer meetings I was a part of, waiting for a move of God. And I just kept hearing this whisper, what if God's waiting for a move of man? I, I, I couldn't shake that. And I believe that we need to pray like it depends on God, but work like it depends on us. And everybody has complaints on Facebook and opinions and they're down on it. And everybody wants to complain about the government and school system and media and how it's anti-Christian and post-secular and all these things. And I thought, what, a, what instead of complaining, what if we could have a, um, have a, a, an anointing like Esther or, 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 or even like Joseph 
to go in or like Daniel and be a part of the solution, go mm-hmm. into government. So we have this vision that we will see people from our church have, you know, whether they come from government and have an experience with Christ or they go into government, into media, into arts, into schooling, into medicine, into business. We believe that Sunday morning is a launching pad into culture. It's not check the box. I made it to Sunday, but you leave Sunday going, I'm going to go back into the newsroom. I'm going to be a reporter. You know, we, and we're seeing that happen from medicine to school to government. We just had one of our people that got saved um, just win a Juno Award for Breakthrough Band of the Year, um, which is a huge deal. And him and his girlfriend got saved in our church, and they helped us write our first single um, as a church. But I said, you're not called to write Christian music. If God wants to do that, great. Mm-hmm. But you're called to write commercial music. You're in that arena, and God's using you to make secular music and we're not going to give up that territory. Um, and we just see more and more detail, people going in and impacting culture, impacting policy and change on a grassroots level. So instead of picketing like the old days, walking around government and picketing, what if we could be in there like Daniel, like Joseph and actually impacting change? That's the vision we have. And, and it's just growing and growing the more we go. Well, I'm just so thankful for your time today, Mike. Uh, you're such an encouragement to me. And I just want to say this as we wrap up. And uh, there are seeds that you've been part of planting that I keep discovering all over Canada. Like even today, I text a few guys that I know know you. And I said, hey, I'm interviewing Mike Miller. Uh, what should I chat with him about? Or what themes most impact you? And their response were all about how you've encouraged them, mm. how you've built into them. And it's like along the way, as a youth pastor, uh, as a speaker, church planner, you've been able to come around, speak into people's lives and leave a deposit. And uh, I just really love that about you. And it's an exciting thought um, that you've been called to and planted in Halifax. And God's used you to plant seeds across this country and beyond. So I just wanted to honor you and thank you for your time today, buddy. Well, I'm so grateful for Mike and his team for giving us time to speak on the podcast today. If you want to find out more about Mike and his work at Nova Church, we've got notes to this episode and some links to some of his stuff at cclnca slash blog. But before we sign off, I want to let you know about an online conversation that I'm going to be hosting with Alpha Canada in a couple of weeks. As a pastor of a new church here in Vancouver, this fall, we launched our third Alpha course. And what's unique about it is we're doing it online. And Alpha Online has been an incredible tool for our church. And so I'm excited to see the way that this has created new opportunities for evangelism in our time. So on October 28th at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, I'll be hosting an Explore Alpha webinar for those of you who have questions or considering or interested in running Alpha Online at your church. And the hope is that this conversation would help you envision how Alpha can fit within your church's mission and calendar as you move into this fall and beyond. We're going to spend some time talking about why I think Alpha has worked in creating a space that people are really excited to bring their non-Christian friends to and how it works uniquely in the online space. There will be time for Q&A, so bring along your questions, especially those those that are specific to your unique context. You can register at alphacanada.org slash webinars. I hope to see you there. Well, that's it for today. Please, if you haven't already, all the likes, the comments, the reviews, the subscriptions that go a long way to getting the word about this podcast out. So thank you so much for doing that. And thanks for tuning in today. We'll see you later.